this is Senator Hatfield. How are you? I'm fine, Senator. I'm, I'm sitting here with Senator Bob Dole, uh, the majority leader in his office. And uh, I want to let you know that there's going to be a vacancy in the United States Senate. I, I think I was in the Senate president's office, actually. Um, and uh, I think we were working and uh, Dan Levy was, uh, came in and I worked with Annette Price. I don't know if she, she sat across a desk across from me. And um, Dan came into our office and said, hey, Senator Packwood is going to resign. And we looked at each other and went, okay, well, yeah, what does that mean? It was very sudden. We were in the state capitol. It was in mid-September. Uh, I think we were there because there was maybe a legislative hearing or something, because you're not normally in session. Uh, and we heard the announcement and literally decided in that moment, Gordon made the decision to announce that he was running. Well, it was really awkward for me because I was the campaign manager of the entity called Widen for Congress. And there was no other staff because it wasn't really much of a race. And I knew it meant that my boss might be running for the U.S. Senate in the next 24 hours. And I'm the only person that's not Hatch Act in his orbit. So I was freaked out. And I, I was actually happened to be in D.C. when uh, Bob Packwood resigned. I was in the gallery above the Senate floor watching him resign. After 26 years, the state of Oregon found itself in a unique position, filling an open U.S. Senate seat. And it would do it in a groundbreaking way, by mailing every registered voter in the state a ballot. Oregon would attempt the first federal election in United States history, conducted entirely with vote by mail. This is Kevin Curry, and over the next four episodes, we revisit the moment and hear from the people who experienced it firsthand. We learn that in addition to putting Oregon at the forefront of vote by mail, this historic election changed Oregon far beyond how voters receive a ballot. In 1981, the Oregon legislature approved a bill allowing local governments to experiment with vote by mail elections. The result was so popular with county clerks who were in charge of elections that in 1987, the legislature made it a permanent option but only for local or special elections. For regular primaries and generals, it was still not allowed. My first exposure to the idea came in 1989. I was a freshman legislator. A bill came up on the floor, championed by a Democrat who was not particularly well regarded among most of his fellow Democrats, but he had a committee chair. Phil Kiesling was elected to the Oregon House of Representatives at 33 years old. He wouldn't spend much time there, though. That 1989 session would be his only one as a member. And the bill was promoted by the county clerks and the then secretary of, of uh, uh, actually not the secretary of state, former secretary of state, Norma Paulus. And it would have extended Oregon law to allow uh, a vote by mail election in primaries. I listened to the arguments. It was a new idea to me. I, and I think about 44 other uh, Democrats and Republicans, pushed the red no button at the end of the debate, defeating the bill. For me, it was, oh, I love the tradition, the crunch of autumn leaves under crisp blue skies, seeing my neighbors going to the local schools where I started my campaign. 
And I just didn't see the need for it. Okay. And that's all I thought about it. And I didn't give it any other thought for a couple more years. The next time Phil would face the topic of vote by mail, he would have a lot more influence on the question. And, you know, vote by mail had, had in many ways had been more of a Republican creation uh, in Oregon than, than a Democratic creation. Jeff Mapes has been covering Oregon politics since 1984, for the first three decades at The Oregonian. Today, he's the senior political reporter at Oregon Public Broadcasting. His firsthand experience with vote by mail in the 1980s highlights a part of the origin story that often gets lost. You know, one of the early uh, strains of having vote, our, our sort of pushes for vote by mail were uh, uh, people who were critical of the way school board elections, or school elections, particularly school levy elections, were conducted in Oregon. And there was a period of time when you could hold these elections. I mean, the school board could just set a date. It didn't even have to be on a Tuesday. It didn't have to be tied. Now, if you're going to hold an election in Oregon, it has to be on one of several approved election days. But that didn't used to be the case. And it used to be common for school districts, they would set up a, a, a date for a school board election. It might even be, you know, on a Saturday or a Sunday or something. They'd mo- mobilize you know, the teachers' union would mobilize, uh, the school board would mobilize, you know, PTA groups, et cetera, you know, whatever other support groups there are for schools, and then sort of push it through and, you know, frankly hope for a pretty low turnout, but their kind of turnout. And, and a lot of Republicans really objected to that, felt it was kind of an inside game. And and I think, you know, the the Oregon Education Association wasn't particularly wild about vote by mail for that reason. They they worried in the other direction that you were going to get a lot of older voters who didn't pay much attention, but they got something in the mail about a tax increase and they'd vote against it. As a new member of the Oregon House, Phil Kiesling noticed the same dynamic around school funding. I, I think it's been clear from the beginning that there have been both sentimental and emotional reasons that People have legitimately opposed uh, this particular approach to our elections, but also often unstated uh, because it would be inconvenient to say things like this, uh, very crass political reasons for it. The opposition in the 1989 uh, session, which I generally ignored, it didn't seem to be very compelling, but for some it was determinative, came from uh, people that were big uh, proponents of more education funding. See, as it turns out, in the 1980s, um, uh, a lot of the school districts, because we have you know, had a colossal fail about dealing with our school finance question still, all my life we've uh, failed to deal with it, um, uh, they were having to resort to these special elections to do levies and bonds to pay for keeping uh, schools open ridiculously dysfunctional system. But Oregon law allowed elections to be held um, often in obscure dates, June, second Tuesday in June of an odd-numbered year. That's an election day? It can be. So there was a practice that had built up, and this was my observation. Others might disagree, but I think there, there was a practice build up that if you wanted to pass a, a school funding measure, you declare an election, the school board will vote to have it on a particular obscure Tuesday at the polls, and you get maybe 5 or 8 or 12% turnout. 
but they would be the right five or eight or 12 percent. It would be the people active in the PTA. It would be the employees at the school. It would be the parents who had kids in, in, in the school. And so uh, uh, school board association, public employee, uh, uh, teachers union and others, they opposed any extension of, of, of this system because it was, it was already, I think, having an effect. In fact, one of the most interesting headlines of, of the vote-by-mail movement came in the Albany Democrat Herald in the early 1980s when the county clerk down there, Del Riley, decided to run the election in this fashion. Um, he'd asked the question of, gee, if we're printing and paying for all these sample ballots to send out to people, why don't we do the real thing? And people said, oh, that's a really stupid, ridiculous question. But he kept thinking about it and saying, well, why not? Why, why couldn't it work? But anyway, when he finally got permission uh, to run this kind of an election, and it involved a number of, of school board levies and school uh, uh, district levies and the like, the Albany Democrat Herald, uh, the main newspaper down there, the headline in the aftermath was, uh, Operation Succeeds, Patient Dies. And it reflected the fact that they had record turnout. None of the problems that people feared and anticipated came to light. Um, uh, was quite a success from an election administration point of view, but it made brought out a lot more no votes on the school bond and and funding measures, and and those all went down, which the Democrat Herald had been a big supporter of. This system of school funding is what created the initial partisan divide over the topic of vote by mail. So there was definitely a political angle to it uh, in the 80s and in the 90s where Republicans like Senator Randy Miller were lining up in favor of it, and most Democrats saw it as a threat. And the Democrats at the time, quite, quite bluntly, were fearful of higher turnout. Remember, the 1990s was the era of Measure 5, and Bill Sizemore was beginning to come on the scene in addition to uh, uh, McIntyre. Uh, social conservatives putting anti-abortion, anti-gay rights measures on, on the ballot. There was that sense that if you make it easier for people to vote and you have higher turnout, those additional voters that otherwise wouldn't bother to come to the polls, they were just going to be voting against all things good, true, and, and progressive. Kiesling's political career would soon take a big leap. It put him at the forefront of the debate over vote-by-mail in Oregon. In 1990, uh, late December, um, there was a vacancy in the Secretary of State's office because Governor Roberts was governor-elect, vacated the office Secretary of State needed to fill it. Under Oregon law, she makes the appointment. And uh, to everyone's surprise, me most of all in many ways, uh, I got tapped to, to, to fill the position. And very shortly after that, uh, Clerk started talking to me about extending Oregon's law, which at that point allowed vote-by-mail elections for any election except for a regular primary or general. Barbara Roberts, when she was Secretary of State, opposed the expansion of vote-by-mail. She was not a fan. And she, of course, had appointed me as Secretary of State. So I listened carefully to arguments on both sides and... Um, uh, by the time I had to run in 1992 for Secretary of State, I had done what I would call a straddle. I had decided that the bill I voted against 
1989 was okay after all, but we should only extend it to primary elections because it didn't seem like turnout was a big problem in general elections. And again, you know, that kind of, I liked going to the polls personally. Okay. Um, I ran against state Senator Randy Miller, the Republican nominee in 1992. It was Randy Miller's bill to make all elections vote by mail. He was the most prominent proponent of it. He was also chair of the state Republican Party. He beat me up, arguably, in the campaign by saying I was being a straddler and and a half-heart. Elections are for the people and the voters, not the politicians. We ought to be doing it for every election. The clerks, who by this time, um, I think I'd done a few things that they did like, kept asking me, but Phil, why won't you endorse vote by mail for all elections? All of us like it, Republicans and Democrats, and most clerks at the time were elected on a partisan basis. And whether they were Democrats or Republicans, almost all of them were big enthusiasts for it. Um, So I won the 1992 election, notwithstanding my opposition um, to uh, extending this particular reform to every single election. It wouldn't take long for Kiesling to stop straddling the issue and step fully into supporting vote-by-mail. He saw its success in other elections and continued to have conversations with county clerks who loved the approach. After 1992 and my election, in, in 1993, we had a statewide special election uh, for some ballot measures. Uh, counties were able to do that election vote-by-mail. 33 out of 36 did. Um, Their turnout was double, if not triple, what it otherwise would have been. It might have been in the single digits. It was a very obscure issue. The timing had to be in an odd year. And and I think that was the thing that convinced me that there was no good reason not to extend this to all elections. So I began to support it. And by 1995, I was a full-on advocate, making it my number one top legislative priority and making it clear to everyone from Governor Kitzhaber on down that uh, this uh, was something that I thought was really important. Throwing his support behind vote-by-mail for every election in Oregon didn't ingratiate Kiesling with the rest of his party. Democratic leaders and elected officials remained against it, which created some tension for him. For Kiesling, though, the choice was about something much more important than partisan politics. It was about democracy. We need to stop this and fill aren't you must not be a real Democrat. Why on earth would you be supporting something to make it easier for these people to vote and discriminate against gay and lesbians and, and cut the knees off uh, of our school funding system? And, um, uh, and my argument was, by the time that I became a full-fledged supporter, is that if you believe at the end of the day in democracy, and you should not be confusing a particular ritual of democracy, however familiar it is, with what the essence of democracy is, which is participation. And if you're afraid that higher turnout and more people participating is going to hurt the causes that are near and dear to your heart, then uh, we've got a much deeper problem uh, than, uh, than we realize. And uh, it's fascinating 25 years later to see how a lot of those roles have now reversed. 
With the gaveling in of the 1995 Oregon legislative session, Republicans would control both chambers for the first time since 1956. Republican Bev Clarno was selected Speaker of the House. It was her fourth session as a member of the Oregon House of Representatives, and she represented the Bend area of Central Oregon. Members of the Oregon Senate chose Republican Gordon Smith, in only his second session, to lead the chamber as Senate president. Like Clarno, Smith was from the east side of the mountains, where he ran the family-owned Smith Frozen Foods outside Pendleton. The former Senate president, Democrat John Kitzhaber, was elected to the governorship in 1994 and would be going through his first session in that office. By the start of the 95 session, Phil Kiesling had decided that extending vote by mail to every election in Oregon would be his top priority. And we geared up uh, quite a bit. Every speech I gave outside the Capitol, practically, I, I, I stressed it. And in fact, we printed little blue cards. We had ran what we call a blue card campaign. And we passed these cards out wherever we went. Um, and it was, write your legislator and tell them why you think all elections should be done uh, vote by mail. And I got some real blowback for it. I got accused by people of of campaigning, uh, trying to pass legislation that was around elections. Isn't this the job of the Secretary of State? Legislators thought it somewhat inappropriate that I was putting pressure on them because they were getting calls in these blue cars from constituents saying, why are you against, uh, against this particular piece of legislation? And what had happened by 1995 was, was interesting. Um, Republicans now are getting cold feet. I think they were beginning to worry about higher turnout, even though the Democrats were also getting worried about extending it because they just watched the catastrophe for them at the national level with the 1994 takeover of the U.S. House of Representatives by Newt Gingrich and company. And, and when you delve into the details of that particular election night in November of 1994, there were a number of races in which the Democrat looked like he or she was winning as of midnight election night. But then when all these absentee ballots were counted, it flipped to the Republican winning because the people that were choosing to vote with mailed out ballots tended in the early 90s to be disproportionately older, disproportionately more white, disproportionately more Republican. And again, total flip of what we're hearing today. We'll call this the red shift, um, uh, not the blue shift, when you count those later ballots, because you count absentee ballots after polling place votes in order to ensure that people are not double voting. So you had Democrats still very concerned, but now Republicans are beginning to to get concerned. And uh, though Randy Miller has his bill, and I'm full on supporting the legislation of the person that ran against me in 1992 and said all sorts of awful things, but hey, that's politics. I'm fully supporting his bill. And um, and we get it through the Senate because he runs the committee, and it totally bogs down in the House. A key ally in the effort was Oregon's county clerks. With Keesling on board, they focused their efforts on the Oregon legislators representing their counties. I mean, there was a lot of pressure from county clerks at this period to go to all vote by mail. They really liked the system. It was a lot more convenient for them. Uh, it was cheaper. And and so they they were big backers of it. Many cl- county clerks uh, are Republicans. 
I mean, probably just more a function because there's more rural counties where they'd be likely to be elected than than uh, Democratic clerks. And probably it wouldn't surprise me if even the Democratic clerks were supportive of vote by mail. And of course, I mean, the thing, and I've been asked, <laughs> I've had this, I've been interviewed several times this year about this. Of course, everything changed after the 1996 election. And then all of a sudden, Democrats decided they loved it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In the meantime, Kiesling thought he was in fine shape with Governor Kitzhaber, that if this bill actually did make it through both chambers, that Kitzhaber would sign it into law. I had earlier that year also um, had a chance to meet with the governor and talk to him about my legislative package. At the very top of the list was, was vote by mail. He looked at it and said, looks good. If there's anything I can do to, to help you, you let me know. And in retrospect, I should have at that moment said, no matter what you do, promise me you will not veto the bill if it does pass. But I didn't think I needed to do that, (laughs) given the conversation. The 68th Oregon Legislative Assembly rolled along with Senator Randy Miller's vote-by-mail bill, the one being pushed by his former opponent, Phil Kiesling, and the county clerks from across the state, bottled up on the House side of the Capitol. It looked like that's where it would die. But in the waning hours of a legislative session, strange things can happen. Legislation can suddenly come back to life. On the last day of the session, I come down with a terrible cold. I, you know, my staff says, go take a nap. I've got a fever. They look at me and they go, get the hell out of here, go home. So I go home. Turns out to be the last day of the session. I get a call the next morning from a reporter Jeff Mapes, who says, so tell me, you got your vote by mail bill passed. What do you think? And I go, Jeff, are you kidding me? (laughs) I was told there's no way that's ever going to see the light of day. No, he came out at like two in the morning. What had happened is that a small group of Democratic legislators had met with House Speaker Bev Clarno late that day. Gordon Smith, who was looking to run for a Senate seat, had made a big pledge that they were going to get the legislature done by pea-picking time, which is early June when they harvest peas in in, um, his part of the world. And uh, and he'd make a big deal of it, and arguably it was a, uh, a measure of his success as managing the Senate, the Senate president, to be able to, to keep his promise about that. Well, the Democrats went to the, the speaker as things were winding up and said, if you want us to be cooperative to wrap this thing up quickly, we have a series of things that are on our list. And there's a handful of bills, and all we're asking is that you allow a floor vote on it. It's all we're asking, up or down, pass or fail. Well, Bev Clarno was a fan a vote by mail. She'd been talked to by her county clerk, Susie Penhollow, about why it was a good idea, saves money, more voters participate, etc. She says, yeah, of course. Well, the House votes the bill through with a wide margin, bipartisan support. It goes up to the Senate for, you know, reconciliation, confirmation in the middle of the night, 20 votes to, to nine. Um, and it passes 
including, I think, Gordon Smith might have voted for it uh, and, and Randy Miller. So that's how the bill passed in the last early morning hours of the last day of the 1995 legislative session. And so the end of Act 1 in the drama that leads up to the special election was finished with us celebrating, but we soon realized we were celebrating too soon. The bill had made it to Governor Kitzhaber's desk, and he was now on the clock, deciding whether to sign it or veto it. With the fate of vote-by-mail in the hands of one person, opponents of the idea could focus their pressure. Opposition came in from a number of places. Arguments against vote-by-mail, whether supported by evidence or merely rhetoric, flew fast and furious at the governor's office. Jeff Mapes had a front-row seat, reporting on the pressure that mounted on Kitzhaber. One was, at first, uh, Kitzhaber sounded like he was going to uh, sign the bill. You know, I don't think he had much uh, real opposition at first to it. But he was really heavily lobbied by a lot of Democratic heavyweights. You know, I I remember talking to one... (laughs) Unfortunately, this was off the record. This person is still alive, still involved in Democratic politics, uh, who basically... Uh, ran me through their their whole thinking about how vote by mail just didn't work for Democratic voters who are often more, uh, are, the way they put it was, well, you know, many of our voters are less well-educated, lower income. They, they, there's a lot there that you're asking them to do, you know, to fill out a ballot, uh, put a stamp on an envelope, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's many steps, and we're just not worried it's going to to work well for our candidates. And so he got really heavily lobbied by, I think, people all the way up to the Democratic National Committee. In a July 7, 1995 article in The Oregonian, headlined, Kitzhaber Gets Cold Feet, says he's undecided on mail voting, Mapes reported that Governor Kitzhaber was, quote, having second thoughts about signing a path-breaking bill, that would require mail voting for both the primary and general elections in Oregon. Kitzhaber's chief of staff, Bill Wyatt, said it wasn't partisan concerns that made Kitzhaber wary, but rather that the bill was enacted without enough debate. U.S. Congresswoman Elizabeth Furse, who represented Oregon's first district, argued that vote-by-mail could, quote, depress the turnout of working people, unquote, who are used to going to the polls and might be too busy to mail in their ballot. Gordon Smith seemed to welcome a veto as well, Mapes reported that Smith had missed the late-night reconciliation vote and was now concerned with the loss of the tradition of going to the polls and worried about the potential fraud. But then we start getting rumblings. We get rumblings that a lot of Democrats are talking to the governor about why this is a terrible idea. Look what happened in 1994 when more people vote. You know, it's bad for Democrats. We get rumblings suddenly from Gordon Smith, Randy Miller, Gordon Smith says, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. This came up in the middle of the night when, you know, a lot of people didn't really have a chance to take a look at it. And you go, but it passed the Senate like in February or March and then sat in the House for all that time before it sprung loose. Funny thing about politics in many ways, uh, incumbents are very hesitant to change the system because by definition they've succeeded in it. And um, so... Yeah, that doesn't totally surprise me. And plus, I think there's a lot of tradition around Election Day, or there used to be. You know, I think we're rapidly getting away from that as a society. But, uh, I mean, I remember 
thinking, gosh, I'm really going to miss the the pageantry almost of, of election day. And I haven't thought about that for years. <laughs> but suddenly people are saying, oh, we've heard that the governor's taken a hard look at this and we think he ought to veto it. Whoa. By law, Kitzhaber had until July 14th to issue a list of bills he might veto, and then until July 21st to actually veto them. It was coming down to the wire. On July 9th, The Oregonian, the state's largest newspaper, published an editorial supporting the signing of the bill. The editorial board argued that, quote, "...mail voting is no longer a novel experiment. It has passed its tests over and over again, including the one of public acceptance." Kitzhaber should sign this bold, progressive measure to make the voters' job easier and more convenient, unquote. By July 12th, Kitzhaber still hadn't made up his mind. That day, Mapes published another story about the fate of the legislation. He quoted Kitzhaber's spokesperson, Bob Applegate, saying, quote, the scope and breadth of the change does concern him, unquote. Even political scientists were coming out against the idea Bill Lunch, a political science professor at Oregon State University and regular media pundit on Oregon politics, even launched a letter-writing campaign among his colleagues, urging Kitzhaber to veto the bill. Brian Clem, today a state representative from Salem, was a young staffer for State Senator Cliff Trow and the campaign manager for Congressman Ron Wyden. He'd earned his political science degree at Oregon State under the tutelage of Professor Lunch. And I remember at the time, I had come from OSU, Bill Lunch, uh, the former OPB analyst, or maybe he still does it a little bit, he was really against it. And he kept telling me, and I mean, he was, this guy's my idol. He's my major professor. And he's like, Brian, it's just going to turn into like any other piece of junk mail and it's just going to get thrown away. And I'm like, I I don't think so. It's the ballot. And he's like, it will. And turnout will eventually go down. But that's not what happened. Oh, my God. Bill and I have had many, many conversations about this. I think now he admits he's wrong. <laughs> he was wrong. but And he had a lot of the same stuff. He just I remember one time he did a very detailed paper uh, laying out. I think what he had was something like 22 different steps it takes from pulling the ballot out of the mailbox to successfully casting it. But, you know, and I used to tell him this, you know, Bill, if you wrote down all the steps it takes to get to the polling place, you might come up with 20, you know, if you're open the door, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. But, and, and he was very worried uh, about uh, um, people being uh, uh, coerced by, you know, family members, like, you know, women being coerced by abusive husbands. And, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I remember he and I debating it on the phone a couple of times because I was now working for Wyden and I would be doing events in Corvallis and I always wanted to check in with him. And he's like, I'm telling you, Ryan, someday you're going to regret this. Oh, and I had worked for Cliff and that, he was the senator from Corvallis. So we stayed in touch over it. And, you know, I think he was lobbying Cliff on it also. And I'm just like, I just, I really don't think so. But I didn't know. And thankfully, you know, Phil Kiesling called the, called the question. Because the legislature probably was, would have not done it for a while longer, actually. It could have been five more years before we tried it. Um, so Phil gets huge credit for that. Finally, on July 14th, Kitzhaber tipped his hand, and the news wasn't good. Under Oregon law, if a governor's thinking about vetoing something, he has to give advance notice about it. And to our great 
consternation. It appears on a list of bills that he might veto. Um, uh, we had, you know, maybe one relatively short conversation about why I thought that was a terrible idea and it ought to, it ought to pass. Um, I have little doubt that people that were against it spent a lot more time uh, talking to him than people were for it. The Democratic National Committee is weighing in on it. I'm hearing through my back channels. Um, uh, Don Fowler, who was the chair of the DNC, came out to Oregon after it was all done and explained uh, why he was glad that it got vetoed and said that uh, vote by mail is like giving people vitamins without anything nutritious to eat. Uh, a quote that I think was in the Oregonian, not quite sure, but I still have an unclaimed $100 reward for anyone who can tell me exactly what that means. In the end, Democratic Governor John Kitzhaber bowed to the pressure and vetoed the bill. The county clerks and Phil Kiesling had come as close as possible without achieving success. A scandal was growing across the United States in Washington, D.C., one that gave vote-by-mail supporters another opportunity to make their case. U.S. Senator Bob Packwood was under increasing pressure to resign. On September 7th, the Senate Ethics Committee, chaired by Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell, voted unanimously to recommend that Packwood be expelled from the United States Senate. Fast forward two months. I'm with my family in a cabin over in the Wallowa Mountains. We've just come back from a hike. I get a knock on the door by the person that's the proprietor of these cabinets. It says, Phil, there's someone on the phone who claims to be Senator Mark Hatfield who'd like to talk to you. And I'm standing there sweaty in my, you know, boots and, and shorts and all this. And I said, uh, it's probably him, but, you know, put, put the call through. So I'm kind of standing there. Uh, families gather around. My kids are, gosh, I guess Ben is four. Katie's uh, not yet three. And, uh, and Phil, this is Senator Hatfield. How are you? I'm fine, Senator. I'm, I'm sitting here with Senator Bob Dole, uh, the majority leader in his office. And I uh, want to let you know that there's going to be a vacancy in the United States Senate imminently. And we just had a couple questions about how the election process would work to fill the vacancy. And we knew that something was possible, and we talked about it among election officials. And under Oregon law, a vacancy election is a special election. It is not a regular primary or a general election. And we got clearance from Attorney General and the like, yes, it's your call, Phil. You know, you've got to consult with the county clerks, or you should, but it's, but it's your call. And we had already decided that if that were to happen, uh, that's what we would most likely do. And I haven't decided certainly yet, made no public announcements on it, but we were definitely leaning that way. I spoke to the senator about how that would work. Um, you know, Senator Dole was there as well. And Senator Hatfield was very gracious and said, yeah, it sounds, um, it sounds really uh, like a good way to to go, that's what you choose, um, um, and uh, uh, thanks for filling us in. And, um, and, and indeed, Senator Packwood resigned. There was a vacancy to behold. Although he didn't know it was coming, Jeff Mapes found himself in the gallery of the United States Senate that day when Packwood resigned. I was actually, happened to be in D.C. 
when uh, Bob Packwood resigned, I was in the gallery above the Senate floor watching him resign. You know, we'd heard that the report was coming out, you know, the, the Senate investigative report by the Ethics Committee. And so literally the night before, we sent a, an editor and a team of reporters uh, on a, a red-eye flight back to Washington, D.C. Awkwardly enough, I was seated next to one of Packwood's press aides who really didn't, at that point, they were not talking to the Oregonian. <laughs> so it was a rather awkward uh, flight, but uh, since he really didn't want to say anything to me. In addition to choosing to conduct the election by mail, Kiesling also had to decide how the candidate nomination process would take place. A choice that had an impact on Dan Levy, Gordon Smith's chief of staff and future campaign manager. Uh, the, the state law allows the secretary of state to choose how the nomination process occurs in a special election and the form that the election will take. So there was a period where Secretary of State Phil Kiesling was just, had to make two decisions. One, would he allow a primary to occur or party conventions to nominate the candidates? Believe it or not, that, that is an option, or at least it was at that point in state law. I don't know if it's changed. Um, and then he had the discretion to conduct the election uh, by, by mail. Uh, and so he chose to do that. In the end, the choice for Kiesling wasn't difficult at all. By 1996, it already was looking like half the people would be voting with mailed out ballots anyway, because we had passed a law in the 1995 legislature that allowed for permanent absentee status. Just sign up once, they keep coming as long as you move there. In fact, the, the bill was sponsored by a legislator who was a Republican, who was a big opponent of going to all vote by mail for everybody. And the argument was used, well, let's give people the choice. They can sign up for permanent absentee voting, but if they prefer to go to the polls, let's keep the polling place open. I thought there was a, a compelling argument against that, which is that people still have the choice about how to return their ballot. They can take it into an election office or, or um, uh, drop site or other places. Um, but uh, uh, because of permanent absentee voting and the efforts of both political parties to promote the practice to get out the vote, most people were probably already going to vote by mail anyway. So all we did, in effect, was just said, well, let's just mail to everybody and scrap the application process. Let's not go through the chaos of having people, as the election gets closer and closer, be flooding their election offices with these absentee ballot applications. And um, uh, that was one of the reasons all the clerks were for this. They said, this is, this is crazy. We're running two elections at the same time. Most of the people are going to vote uh, by mail, and yet we're required to set up all these polling places, and no one's coming to them. Or there's vast stretches of time where no one shows up. Uh, so let's rationalize the system and send everybody their ballot. As I recall by then, uh, Phil seemed to be a pretty big supporter of vote by mail. And, you know, he had established a, uh, a persona by then of, of really being kind of a straight shooter when it came to elections and, and how he ran his office. You know, famously, he did a reapportionment plan after the legislature couldn't agree on one that Republicans felt was very fair. And, and Democrats kind of groused, uh, you know, gave too many advantages to Republicans. And 
the proof was in the pudding. The Republicans dominated the legislature in the 1990s. And, and so he was, I think, really had a reputation as being fair-minded to the point that it really kind of wrecked any chances he had for running for governor. And, and so in that sense, it, it didn't surprise me. Packwood's announcement started an immediate political frenzy. For the first time since 1968, Oregon would have an open U.S. Senate seat. Elected officials at all levels of Oregon government considered what this unique opportunity would mean for their political careers. Lori Hardwick worked in the office of Senate President Gordon Smith at the Capitol and saw it firsthand. As I recall, it was maybe right away that very day. Uh, he knew that he wanted to run for higher office at that, at that point already. Um, so when Packwood resigned, there was a discussion about, should I run, should I not run? What would be the downsides, upsides, all those kind of things? I, I remember that he... Um, you know, called his wife. I know that he talked to people across the state um, pretty quickly, and he just said, I guess today's the day we got to go. You know, you figure at that point, you know, in politics, opportunity is everything. And you figure at that point that if you don't decide, somebody else will jump in. And in politics, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, especially in politics. Brian Clem and the Wyden team immediately started thinking about the ramifications of Kiesling's choice. The special allowed an opportunity for this good government secretary of state, you know, Boy Scout Phil Kiesling to say, we're doing this vote by mail because it was his discretion. And so we suddenly heard that's what we're doing. You know, he announced it. I don't even know if he consulted with the campaigns, probably didn't at all. It just announced it. And you know, we're trying to figure out what that means for, well, when is election day? Is it really December the 2nd or is it, you know, sometime in November when they go out or somewhere in between? And so we're, you know, adjusting to building an infrastructure and trying to plan differently than anybody knew how to run campaigns. And Phil Kiesling, he relished the opportunity to once again prove that vote by mail works and to take another run at those that opposed his efforts over the summer. I actually have told people that one of the most en uh, enjoyable opportunities I had uh, in my political career to kind of do a, 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 in a phone call was calling that uh, head of the Democratic National Committee, his name was Don Fowler at the time, and, and informing him, Don, uh, we're going to hold the nation's first ever in U.S. history uh, federal election that's done by automatically mailing everyone their ballot. And he, well, you, you can't do that. Uh, yes, I can. It's a special election, not a regular primary or general. And then he said, with some good humor, I think, well, I guess I probably can't talk you out of it. And I said, no, Don, you can't. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and do it. Coming up on episode two of Revisit the Moment, the primary battle commences. The campaigns hustle to ramp up. The candidates face a pop quiz from the media that knocks one of them back. And the primary election reflects the unity of one party and the changing dynamics of the other. And, and then boom, suddenly I get called by the, the, I think it was the chief of staff or the district director and said, hey, um, Ron's gonna run. And uh, so like, we need you to talk to a radio station about our kickoff event at the Hollywood Senior Center, you know, this Saturday. And that was, I think, excruciatingly embarrassing to widen, uh, you know, and the whole thing where he just basically kind of froze and couldn't give answers to, to anything. Or I think at a certain point in that pop quiz, he just decided, I'm not going to try any of this at all. 
you know, Norma Paulus uh, was in the primary, and she was the, or maybe she thought she would have been the heir apparent. Revisit the Moment is produced by me, Kevin Curry. Audio production and design is by Matt Tibbs. Our research assistant is Elijah O'Brien. We record at Linfield University in the studios of the Linfield Podcast Network. Remember to subscribe to Revisit the Moment so you don't miss out on any episodes. And if you enjoyed our work, give us a rating and a review.